Welcome to another in our series of short podcasts looking at the implications of Brexit in the event industry. I'm Martin Blunt. In this series, we'll be meeting experts in HR, tax, haulage. And today, we're going to be looking at GDPR and privacy with Philippa Don, a partner at DPN Associates. Phil, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Lovely to talk to you, Martin. Nice to be here. Before we actually focus on on Brexit, uh, GDPR, when it all came to the fore a little while ago, was seen as quite complicated. May I say just a little painful for some businesses as well when it was first introduced. I just wondered, how do you think it's it's now working now we're a, a year or so down the path? Was it worth all that pain? Um, yes, I think GDPR certainly has had its critics and it's it's been accused of creating unnecessary burden um, and you've had those kind of, oh, we can't do that because of GDPR. Um, and a lot of the time, I think it's a, a misunderstanding and that actually you can do a lot of what you want to do if it's a reasonable thing to be doing. Um, and I think what GDPR gives us is a kind of, you know, it gives us common sense checks and balances and, and sort of guidelines of how to do the right thing. Um, people you know, care about what businesses do with their data. Um, They care about their privacy. And so I see data protection and GDPR as as sort of building trust. And the more trust we are, the more engagement we get from people. Um, And it's also about sort of having a balancing act. So you, you may have some risks, but if you don't know what those are and what potential issues might be should they occur, you can't decide whether you're going to put in actions to mitigate those risks, whether you're going to eliminate those risks or whether you're going to accept them. Certainly, um, I think generally it's now considered something that protects us and looks after us, whereas at at the first, I think we were just frightened about what what it meant for us. So uh, I guess a force for good. I think the problem is, yes, it did you know, there was all the sort of um, paperwork and policies and, oh, we need a new privacy notice and we've got to update that. There was all that that happened. But also that I think there was some sort of sensational headlines. Oh, you need consent for everything. And, and, and I think people got a bit scared by it. But actually, I think if you look at it as giving you some core principles for how to do the right thing, then, you know, it's, it can be a good thing. Well, let's let's have a look at Brexit because uh, I, I guess the thing everybody wants to know is, having been through that process and got all our lovely notices and, and contracts all sorted out, are we going to have to redo all that again? Has, has everything changed? No. <laughs> you can all breathe. Yeah, you can breathe <laughs> a sigh of relief. Um, the, yeah, the answer is no. Basically, the UK government has imp- implemented UK GDPR into well we've got gdpr in uk law and it's we've now got uk gdpr so um and this means that basically all the 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 general requirements and obligations will remain the same yeah there are some things that we need to consider but on on the whole there is no change to your obligations under data protection law so will we need you you say some things will change are we going to have to change our processes our documentation at all um, yes. So if, if, well, I would say with your processes and let's say your data protection policy or your um, privacy notice, you would be looking to change and amend things like if you've made reference to the applicable laws, you know, or if you're making um, reference to things like international transfers where there are some changes. Um, so the the few tweaks to make, and you might look at contracts, obviously, to make sure that the applicable law is, laws in those are right as well. 
I know a lot of people listening will be working in the event industry in some form. They may be venues, they, they may be agencies. Uh, who will be uh, affected? Is it is it our clients? Is it our suppliers? Um, so I think when, if we're talking about international transfers, I think this is the key area where people may be affected. So to give a sort of bit of background, under EU GDPR, um, data can flow freely between all countries within the EEA. Um, but now that the UK is outside um, GDPR, we're what's termed a third country and transfers of data and the free flow of data can't happen outside of the EEA. Um, and so they're called what's called restricted transfers. It doesn't mean they can't happen, but it means that there's some things you need to, to make sure are in place to ensure that data can be transferred. So you're looking at things like whether a country has been granted adequacy by the EU, um, whether you need to put in place certain safeguard mechanisms such as standard contractual clauses, which are rather onerous, but um, and then that or whether you can rely on an exception, as in you need to transfer that data in order to ful fulfill a contract with the individual, or you've got the consent of the individual. So what we're talking about here, so say if you had a client that was based in Spain, mm -hmm. and that client was giving you as the event organizer, all their, you know, some customer data um, and that you're organizing that event for them and you're acting as a processor on their behalf, then that's a, a transfer that's going from the e EEA to the UK and the UK is now a third country. So the, the client needs to think about, right, has the UK got adequacy? If it hasn't got adequacy, we need to then be thinking about additional safeguard mechanisms that we can put in place such as standard contractual clauses. I was just, um, just can I pick you up there, adequacy, yeah. um, uh, you, has the UK got adequacy? I mean, how does that well, process happen? I was going to mention <laughs> this. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> we are right on the brink and I wish I could say to you right now that we have, but we are expecting a decision anytime soon. And to explain what adequacy is, is the European Commission will say, right, the, the data can um, flow freely within the EEA and then we will assess certain other countries and give them an you know adequacy if we think that their data protection laws are essentially equivalent to those in the EU um, and so the big question has been will the UK get adequacy um, and it wasn't decided in the Brexit deal, but there was a little bit of leeway time given to say, we'll give you another few another few months for this decision to take place. Um, and we are literally on the brink. We are hearing that they are going to grant adequacy, but we just haven't got that officially said yet. Yeah. So it looks like it's good news in that we won't have to work, that client in Spain won't have to worry about any additional measures for the data that it's sending to a events organization organization in the UK but it it you know, I just can't say 100% for sure. Well, I was going to say, so we're, we're recording this mid-February. It's a yep. podcast. People may be listening at all different times of, of the year, and we'll give some information where people can maybe get a bit of a catch-up at, uh, uh, at the end of the podcast. I've also heard um, this term EU representative. Have we all got to open offices in the EU or find a, find a friend out there? Okay, so this this comes down to so another area. So you... you um, 
If you're working, if you're operating out of the UK, you'll be governed by UK GDPR. But if you offer services and products to EU citizens, um, you also, there'll be an element of what you're doing that's covered by EU GDPR. And under EU GDPR, they say that if you are offering products and services to EU citizens, you would, and, and you don't have an establishment in the European economic area, then you'd need to appoint a um, European rep representative for data protection. So if you've got establishments in the EEA, that's not a problem. But if you haven't and you offer products and services or monitor the behaviour of EU citizens, then you might be looking that you would need an EU representative. And when I say offering products and services, we're kind of looking at things like, do you actively um, offer products and services to EU citizens. So it's not enough if you've got a website and it's you're based in the UK and it might be that, you know, visitors from the EU access your website or that somebody signs up to book book on for an, an event through your website and they happen to be an EU citizens. That's not enough to trigger the requirement to have an EU representative. You need to be actively promoting your products and services. So are you directly targeting EU citizens with advertising and marketing? Um, do you have websites with EU domains? Do you offer prices in euros? Are just some of the things you'd want to consider. And if you tick some of those boxes, then you would be looking to have an EU representative. Okay. Based in a country where you do business. So, so for many of the people listening, I, I suspect they don't need that. There may well be a few yep. that uh, that would, would want to tick that box. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess many of us find this whole thing quite confusing. Well, it gets it starts simple, seems to become quite complicated quite quickly. But then when you get through it, actually, it's just it sort of comes back to some some common sense. And one of the things that always seems to strike me there's there's always new rules on the horizon. And trying to keep up with all of those things, I guess now we have to keep an eye on EU legislation that changes as well as here in the in the UK. Yes, it is an ever evolving landscape and there are things that, that come along. But I think, you know, GDPR was one of those massive things that came along um, and caused a big stir. Um, I think from from a UK perspective, it's good to keep an eye on on, you know, guidance that's coming out from the information commissioner's office codes of conduct that they they publish so recently they published a data sharing code of practice and were also um, awaiting a, um, a direct marketing code and that kind of broadens the scope of what direct marketing is we've got a draft which was out for consultation and now we're waiting to, for the for the final version of that so on a European scale, we've got the long-awaited e-privacy regulation. Um, and this is an update to the current rules for electronic communication. So it covers cookies, electronic marketing, geolocation data, and much more. It's incredibly complex. Um, the first draft was published back in January 2017. We've had 14 versions during the rounds in Europe since then. Um, and now we're entering a kind of final phase where um, there's negotiation with the European Parliament and European Commission, um, and that may take some months to come through. Once and if it's finalised, um, it, there will then be a two-year transition period before it comes into enforcement. Now, the big question is, 
we're no longer in the EU, in the UK. So are we going to, you know, we wouldn't automatically come under this regulation, but there's a possibility and, and maybe quite likely that the UK decides to adopt it so that there's parity with our European ca counterparts on electronic communications rules. And I guess for those of us that are working in the EU or, you know, sometimes crossing those borders, uh, we, we need to know what it says and because there'll be obligations yes. for us and as if, well. Yeah. Yes. I mean, for example, just on a minor level, if you're if you're um, marketing to EU citizens, then you're going to have to care about the privacy regulation. Well, I've, I've got you here um, and the door is locked and you can't run away just away from Brexit little bit of free advice then. Anything else in the world of privacy and GDPR that we should be perhaps thinking about? What's uh, what's the hot topic at the moment that people should be checking? Well, I think one of the areas where a lot of businesses are kind of trying to play catch up or wondering what on earth to do is around cookies. Um, so putting this really simply, under the existing electronic communications rules that we have, non-essential cookies require consent, regardless of whether they process personal data or not. Um, and GDPR lifted the bar of what valid consent looks like. So what happened when GDPR was enforced is everyone's going, well, hold on a minute. What does this mean for cookies and similar technologies? And what should we be doing? And do we need, how do we collect consent? And how should, should we have a pop-up? Should we be doing, what should we be doing? Um, and in 2019, the ICO issued updated cookie guidance, and this is taking quite a strict stance. And it says um, even analytics cookies require consent. So, e and even if those cookies don't collect personal data, whatever. So, it uh, that's why we've seen this kind of proliferation of all these cookie pop-ups. I was going to say every website you, you go, they've, they've kind of. Yeah. It's got bigger and or just more intrusive as before you get. But once you click through it, of course, you're fine. But um, yes, and yeah. I think some of them are doing that by the book and actually trying to collect informed consent up to a GDPR standard. Others won't be. Um, and uh, yes, and and, it, and and I think a lot of people just see this as an, an annoyance. It's like I, I don't know, but <laughs> certainly for me, and I work in the world where I care about these things, is that I'm trying to get to some information. I just click them away. You know, it's yeah. like get out of my way. I haven't got time. And then other times, because of the nature of the work I do, I go, oh, now how have they done this? Are they doing this properly? <laughs> so it, it's, um, but it is an area to look at because it. Uh, but I think. The risk lies where you're doing an awful lot with cookies and you're using, you know, retargeting cookies, all kinds. Of, you know, you're doing much more. You're using third party cookies. That's certainly where the ICO is is um, focused on looking at where there's a, a, you know, invisible processing happening. People don't know where their data is being shared and all that kind of stuff. If you're doing not very much with cookies, I don't think there's a, a you know, a high risk of you Falling, falling foul, you might just be told that you're not doing it properly and you need to put in a consent management platform. Because I guess a lot of people working in the event industry, if they've got, uh, you know, they may be sole traders, they may be bigger companies, quite often it's, it's a brochure site about your business. Others, of course, are trying to market and, and, and actually uh, sell tickets for things in the event industry. And, and yep. those, those sites are, you know, they have a, a lot more going on in the background. Yes, and I think, and actually implementing a, a consent management platform is not a difficult thing to do. 
yeah it's 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 not a difficult thing to do there are some free tools out there and then there's some some you can pay for it's not a difficult thing to do so if you want to sort of say do you know what we want to do the right thing here it it, it it's an easy one to tick off another one to fix uh, i guess people listening will have all gone ah phil said something earlier on in the podcast i need a bit more information on on that Every, everybody's story is slightly different. We can't possibly talk about every possible variation. Where can we get some more information and, and support? Well, I think the ICO has done a, a fabulous job of lots of guidance on everything. So if you if you want to find out more about Brexit and international data transfers and whether you need an EU representative or whatever, you can go to the ICO's um, website. They've got, um, if you look under Brexit and, and the UK after the transition period ends, there's lots of information there. Um, on the DPN, we publish a lot of articles and try to make them kind of easy to digest and understand about, you know, all kinds of things. So again, about whether you need an EU representative or, um, you know, what updates you'd made, what laws apply, what's happening with e-privacy, that sort of thing. So and there's a, on, lot, of, that's there's on a your, lot of resources that's on, on your... our website. So that's that's the Data Protection Network. Okay. Um, what's the website address? So that's dpnetwork.org.uk. So, but as I said, the ICO have got a lot of information out there. Um, also at DPN Associates, we provide um, specific practical advice and support to organisations should they want a little bit more in-depth help. My guest today, Philip Adon, partner at DPN Associates. Uh, thank you for your time, Phil. Thank you, Martin. You'll find other podcasts in this series, The Event Industry, Planning for Brexit. I'm Martin Blunt. Thank you for listening.